Uh, well, I'm tempted to say Woody style, yeehaw, because we are. So I've been watching a lot of Toy Story. Oh, okay. Fuck me, have I OD'd on Toy Story? Did you cry? Toy Story 3, the bit near the end where they're all about their holding hands. Yeah, there's some scary bits in 3. I was going to say spoiler alert, but the film's been out for five years. If you haven't seen it by now, then, you know. So I'm Toy Storyed out. I do like the Toy Story films. I think they're well done. They're amazing. There's usually a couple of jokes in there as well, have you noticed? Is there really? Yeah, you know, like Buzz Lightyear's laser. Um, They make an extended um, joke about... um, It's for the grown-ups, you see. Of course it is. It's not for the kids. enjoy it at that level, like a proverbial pantomime. Uh, This is a sort of a... um, a different kind, not not a different kind of episode. I don't know how we get humour into death, but if anybody can give it a go, it would be us, successful or not. Yeah. Uh, but this is about the year so far, Celebrity Death Watch. Ian Collins wants a word. Yeah, because as it turns out, few people have died this year. Yeah, but some bigger. Have you noticed that? Is that the same every year though? Is it like every year? But oh, we haven't had a summer. And you go, well, you said that last year, and it was like 30 degrees for eight weeks. Exactly. You said there was no summer, but I still saw those two guys with the dog on the string, with their T-shirts off, walking around on a nice day. That was your summer. I think, though, that with the celebrity... And you've seen all this stuff, like people are writing essays on BBC websites, and they say, well, this is why people are dying. Really? And what, so folk are trying to intellectualise it? Yeah, people are trying to sort of say, well, it's because of the age of the people and because of the nature of celebrity and so on. And oh, it seems like, fucking... really? <laughs> is that really? Or is it just like uh, people are just unlucky? I mean, so, who, where are we starting here, Kev? Well, and it's also important to point out that because people are dying... Because you are very much rate, the curator of this section. In that I have a list of dead people, yes. <laughs> yes, you are. You are the librarian of death. Yeah. Ooh. Scary, eh? The thing about it is, though, that I'm also aware that by the time we record this, and by you know when it comes out, there's another a, couple might have gone. Oh, another couple okay. of big ones would have gone. Yeah. So, just in case, mm. I'm going to leave a little space here, and we'll fill this space with the name of dead celebrities who have yeah. died since this was recorded. You know, just to keep it current. Uh, there was, of course, Megadeth's Nick Menza, Bert Kwok, who hit Clouseau in the cock. Carla Lane wrote Bread and Butterflies. Muhammad Ali, the greatest. Fighty man Kimbo Slice. Star Trek's Anton Yelchin. Funk genius Bernie Worrell. Uh, others, of course, include David Cameron's political career and Jeremy Corbyn's shadow cabinet. And there's probably loads of others as well. I'm weeping over the celebrity death count. So there we are, we're up to date. Who, who's, who do you think's going to go that hasn't gone? I don't know if this is terrible to say this, but I saw Elton John on the TV. <laughs> now, I know we'd assume me, Elton, and take me to the High Court or something. Yeah. However, I saw Elton John on Graham Norton a couple of weeks back. Oh, and right. he he looked... I think the medical term is f- <laughs> <laughs> And right. I know he'd just been performing, but he was, he was performing with another... Uh, he's doing some backing for another act. Right. And he kind of, Graham Norton, sort of helped him onto the stage, and he sat there all sort of breathless, and he was wearing back to the proper shades, which he kind of ditched a while back. Yeah. So I don't know whether he's got some kind of stress going on at the moment in his life. Well. That, you know, therefore he you know didn't want the, the wrinkles to be shown. I said to Mrs. Ninja, I said... <laughs> Mrs. Ninja. I said, he's, he ain't going to make old bones, is he? No. Well... We wish him well. We do. Lovely family.
Uh, since we last recorded, uh, well, not since we last recorded, but we're talking about death. Uh, this is from last year, actually. But Lemmy from Motorhead obviously died was last, that last December. year. Yeah, uh, just before Christmas, I think, wow. which was a real shame because he was at least a character and he uh, he lived life by drinking yeah. and having lots of sex and yes. playing rock and roll music. And I, I much like myself, I, <laughs> I interviewed Lemmy. It was the most extraordinary interview. Do you remember this? This was um, uh, it was the most low key interview. For a fairly high-profile start. So, former producer Piers, you know Piers. Oh, yes. Piers was doing some producing. And it was Piers' job to bring in kind of guests onto the show. Now, the, the extraordinary thing about Piers and working alongside him is that as a producer, he was shit. <laughs> However, once in a while, uh, because he's a kind of Camden boy, yeah. and he finds himself at various events and in various places, he, he kind of gets to know people quite well. And people tend to like him. So, Winehouse was, you know... Was matey with him, mm. Kirsten Dunst, because you know she was knocking around here, wasn't she? Because she went out with what's his name? That's from, right. What's his name? Joe Dolce from <laughs> from Shut, Shut Up, up Your, your face, face Fame. Yeah. Uh, so he said to me one day, "I want to bring Lemmy in from Motorhead," and it was like we were doing a show on a Saturday evening, but which you previously worked on. That's right. Uh, Saturday evening at like six o'clock. So with no advertising at all, no promotion of this interview, Lemmy comes in at six p.m. to do a show. And the first thing he says, he said, I need a, uh, I need a Southern Comfort. So Piers is like, right. So Piers r- legs it to an off-license to get some Southern Comfort. Right. And runs back. <sighs> so got your Southern Comfort. And <laughs> Lemmy just went, and some ice. <laughs> <laughs> so Piers legs it back to the same place, like one of those mini-mart places. Comes out with a big bag of ice. And Lemmy just, because he doesn't give a shit, just gives us an interview live on the radio where I've never heard a guest say the word fuck so often. Amazing. I mean, it was literally every 30 seconds, and we couldn't keep up. You know, in, in commercial radio, you have a profanitator which you can press, but it's called a dump button because you can dump out the previous seven seconds of what somebody said. We kept hitting it, but it, like, failed to work because he just said it so often. And if you'd have said to him, Lemmy, please can you not swear, which we tried, mm. if you said that too much, he'd have just gone, do you know what, guys? Fuck you. And he'd have just walked out yeah. in a rock and roll style. But he was a really nice man, quite smelly. He smelt quite a bit. I think he was quite known for not washing very much, right. which makes you wonder how he you know, was so successful in the chambre he department. Was, well, he was a rock star. That's what rock, rock stars are supposed to smell a bit meaty. Yeah, that's fine, but not when your bell ends on the crisp. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so it was, yes. I And here's the strange thing. I hadn't realised the significance of Lemmy until we did that show. Because not only as I was interviewing him, because that's not really my bag, mm. the, the, the kind of metal stuff, but it was really afterwards when people were phoning in going, sorry, have you, did you just say you had Lemmy on in the last hour? It's like, yeah, well, why the f*** didn't you tell your audience you had Lemmy? And we suddenly had... This deluge of people emailing and calling in saying, you had Lemmy on you? He rarely gives those kind of interviews where he just sits in a studio one-to-one and has a conversation. Yeah. Um, let alone at 6pm on a Saturday evening. It means somebody posted it in a forum, presumably, yeah. and said, Lemmy was on. I'm like, what? Well, yes. Um, I, I do remember that the, the classic question to Lemmy was really, you've clearly taken some narcotics in your time, Lemmy. Does that not, on an ongoing basis, give you, you know, when, you, when you've done your session... Do you not have a bit of an enormous downer? Yeah. And he said, yeah, that's only if you stop taking them. Yeah. 
So wow. he was kind of popping the old tablets, like non-stop, really. And he obviously that was the life he wanted to lead. I don't have a moral objection. To it was it, a, but... it was a good life. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But um, you know, like like Richard Briers would say, it was a good life. He's, he's dead d- too. He's not dead. He is dead. Briers. Briers is dead. When did Briers die? Like last year, year no, before? He didn't. He did. Briers is alive Bri- and well. Briers is not alive and well. He's dead and buried. Nimmo's gone. Has he? Nimmo must have gone a while ago, which is did a shame because I really liked Star Trek. So, uh, uh, D- David Bowie? Didn't Chris Morris ring Derek Nimmo and tell him that somebody had died? Uh, that sounds like the kind of yeah. thing he would have done. Well, let's look at the impact factor yeah. of different celebrities, because it's fair to say that some celebrities, you are genuinely shocked. Now, you shouldn't technically be any more shocked than when you know somebody you know dies, but there's something about a celebrity. They're a bit infallible. They look as if they're going to go on forever. They've got multimillionaire lifestyles and all the rest of it, and mm. you think, you know, they always seem to be in pretty good health. So somebody like Bowie, we, you know, I think he smoked, and clearly back in the day he mucked around a bit, but I don't think anybody expected Bowie to die. No, I don't think so. But I think he's one of those people that also he he's not just a celebrity. He's like almost a it's like Mick Jagger. It's like a sort of mythical who who may well have died by the time yeah. you hear this. But it's like this sort of mythical character almost in music and in, in culture. He was like one of the big ones who almost stopped being David Bowie and about sure. this sort of like huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They call it a brand these days. I think it's <clears throat> more sort of you know his persona was. Yeah was so big which is amazing because all of his songs were shite so you know <laughs> he did <laughs> tin machine come on yeah yeah black tie white noise yeah what was happening there however there was uh, t- to me what i thought was interesting he was born in brixton yeah and grew up kind of in bromley which obviously i know quite well yeah uh, and i still find, I, I remember him being on parkinson about 10 years ago and michael parkinson saying do you ever get the urge to you know just go back to brixton and see what it's all about and he said, why the fuck would I want to do that? <laughs> and I thought, that's fair enough. Yeah. Well, we're going to go back to Bromley. I liked some of his stuff. And yep. I didn't like a lot of his other stuff. And I don't think yeah, you automatically he... have to like someone because they've died. I agree. And, but, you know, there's a huge catalogue of stuff that we could, everybody could name and there will never be a time when their songs are not played on the radio somewhere. Yeah. Um, but, he, you know, he also churned out some shit. And I thought Danny Baker's point on Twitter quite recently was quite good when people talk about this kind of... Um, this metamorphosizing image that he had of going for the Ziggy Stardust and stuff, you know, hmm. and he was a, an originator of all of that. And I think Baker made the point that Alice Cooper would probably give you a bit of an argument on that one, which is fair news. Possible, yeah. Who I have also interviewed, uh, who was just the, the the nicest man and the least rock and roll man ever because he doesn't drink and he plays golf most of the year. And how did he smell? He smelled delicious. Oh, okay. Did, uh, did you lick him? I did. I noshed his. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. That's that's pretty extreme, really. <laughs> Um, who else? Alan Rickman. Ah, no. Yeah. The, the thing about Alan Rickman, who is phenomenal or was phenomenal, but remains phenomenal, he never looked completely one hundred percent well. But no. then he didn't look ill. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make any sense. Guys. No, it kind of it, it sort of does make sense. Rickman's dead. Yes, and that's tragic. Yeah, because he had the you know the British treasure thing going on. Pretty, you know, globally, pretty big star because mm-hmm. he made enough films to give him that status as well. But also, one of those, what what I liked about him, and I know this because I saw him a couple of times, is that uh, which you can't, you know, Americans they say they do this, but they don't. Rickman would jump on a tube and go to work and mooch down Soho, and yeah. you know, go for a, uh, a McKellen and people like that. They're all quite recognisable people, but uh, and don't really get bothered in the way that. 
Very true. Many, and these are A-listers, really. Yeah. And you know, he, he just did his own thing. So he had that kind of great approach where he wasn't Tom Cruise. Although I do wonder if Tom Cruise walked down Soho, whether he could manage it without getting stopped. Well, it's it's interesting. He's uh, I don't know how well known he is around um, those parts. In Old Compton Street, apparently he's been... On a monthly basis. I'd heard that. So, um, uh, favourite Rickman performance? What would you say? Oh, I haven't seen his last one, which is the Helen Mirren film, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think so, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Some, some with the dude from Breaking Bad in it. Right. Uh, but actually, Rickman in Harry Potter... Very good. ...is yeah. very good. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with um, the Seraphim, the voice of God in Dogma. Because good. he's not in that film for very long, but he owns it. And it's it's so yeah, yeah. it's so strange, and he has no c- in that film. Okay, true. It's good. Eagles. Glenn Fry. He died. Yeah. Now here's the thing. Not really much made of Fry's demise. No, Not really. Considering if you were part of the Eagles, that's pretty f- massive. But they, they don't like each other now, do no, they? No, they don't. If you get a chance to see, and it's obviously on YouTube, when they reform. Uh, which is what ten years ago or something? Yeah. They came back. Um, there's a great they they do uh, about a fifteen minute version of Hotel California, like it's not long enough already. <laughs> However, it starts off with a very kind of percussiony sort of acoustic sort of feel, and they're all sitting on four stalls. Yeah. Before it goes into that, <laughs> uh, which is probably the EastEnders theme. Yeah. Why would they do that? <laughs> and you watch it, and you can scarcely believe that. Probably, and I think Hotel California is probably fair to say one of the most famous songs ever, and four musicians, one of the most famous bands ever, and you can't quite get your head around they all bloody hated each other. Yeah, I mean, I was never, I know people don't really care what I think, but never a big Eagles fan, but I know people who were just, and remain obsessed by them. Yeah, the comic was good. Sir Terry Wogan. Now that was a shocker. Yeah, it was. It really was. It was a shocker because I'm, you know, one of our mates w- worked with him. That's right. Uh, on a regular basis, yeah. and he didn't know he was ill. This doesn't betray anything because it was then printed in the newspapers that all of his colleagues, I think, other than one person, thought he had a bad back. Yeah. Um, and I remember talking to our mate, and I said, "Yeah, well, Wogan's not been on the radio for." He said, "Oh, he's off with a bad back. He's having an operation." Mm-hmm. And that wasn't him BSing me, but that was the word that everybody was told. That said, I've never understood about the... What's the deal with the secret of the, uh, the illness? I suppose he's preserving his... Because he was such a huge part of broadcasting yeah. in this country. Uh, if you think about it, the last time you saw Terry was the last time anyone saw Terry, really, mm. or heard about him. So he's always that person. Yep. So when he died, it's even more shocking. But he didn't, like, start to wither or sure. anything. Well, he did what very few people can do. I mean, that idea of just going on the radio with no preparation... Just a few ideas in your head. I know Danny Baker has kind of sort of taken, if you like, that baton in a way, in a very different way, but same principle that you just kind of show up with. Well, it's how we do this podcast. This you show it. up with a few notes yeah. and the rest of it. Yeah, he was largely doing that on his own. You could not – what I think is interesting and what as a, a broadcaster, and I use that word very loosely, uh, myself, what I envy is that I cannot define – what made Terry Wogan good? Even if you didn't like Terry Wogan, you'd have to be some kind of supercharged nutter not to acknowledge his, yeah. you know, his abilities and all the rest of it. And I don't know how he did that. I don't know whether it was just in his voice. That was clearly something. 
but that wouldn't have been all of it. Just You can't say just because he had an Irish accent he was successful. No, no. There was something more, and I don't know what it was, and I think the fact that I don't know what it was is probably what it was. Also, let's not forget, blankety-blank. <laughs> and the thing about... And the Supermatch game, Supermatch game, Supermatch game. Supermatch game. So... You've actually got someone who was this consummate broadcaster. And yeah. don't forget, he also did a talk show five nights a week at one point. Did. On BBC One. Yeah. So, yeah. Still so t- really the only person that's ever done that. Uh, yeah, and even, and it ran for a few years. I think it's not regarded as, like, a huge success. Well, because it, was, was. it didn't have that kind of American late night feel about it, because it was on at 7pm, wasn't it? And interestingly, that's a format that's never been done. Here, here's the irony of it. Um, that format... The American talk yeah. show, Tonight Show, Letterman-style yeah. format has been attempted over here and has failed so many times. And yet, in the States, you've had Craig Ferguson and James Corden who How? are actually doing it whilst being British How? very successfully. How has that been? The only attempts at it... I mean, Jonathan Ross did the, the last resort thing on a Friday He's night. come closest, yeah. He's come closest. He also then tried to do a couple of nights a week. Yeah, I yeah. think Graham Norton tried it as well. Yeah. Then there was Jack Duda. Jack Doherty. Jack yeah. Doherty, when yeah. Channel 5 started... That genuinely was every night of the week, mm-hmm. and it was at 10 o'clock or half 10 or whatever it was. So they gave it a go, and they ran with it for a while. Never really had much of an impact, whether that's because it was on Channel 5, I don't know. But they, considering America usually nicks this stuff from us mm. and either make a, a complete hash of it or a spectacular success, uh, we've never, I don't know why, been able to get into that whole area. I mean, we both have a fascination with that whole area. Well, indeed, yeah. And you know, also the stories behind it, um, which are just... Which, if you're a bit of an anorak and all the rest of it, is utterly fascinating, you know. From, from and the, crazy, yeah, crazy, and, yeah, completely. But yeah, we've never done that. But Wogan, yeah, probably got closest because he did it. He did it five nights. Then did it go down to three nights a week? Then or something. Uh, it's like something that. like that. Or started and at three, went to five. I don't know. But it was. Yeah, it was seven o'clock. But he had every, you know, every big guest in the world was on there. Guest wise, now nobody beats Graham Norton's sofa. Very true. The other week he had Jodie Foster, yep. Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling, yep, Elton John. It is impossible to beat that as a as a guest list in terms of calibre and quality. Absolutely. One week he had Robert De Niro on there. Mm. Now, firstly, that doesn't happen very often with Robert De Niro at all. True. You go to him, he doesn't come to you. Yep. The following week, I don't know if you knew this, De Niro's on again, promoting a completely different film. Really? But he said he loved it so much that he went back on. So if anybody was, I suppose, ripe for a nightly airing... <laughs> It would be Graham Norton. Yeah. Terry, bless him. Yeah. Um, uh, Harper Lee, who wrote a book called... Only ever wrote two books, Lee. Yes. Bitch. Uh, (laughs) The last one was in the last two weeks in life. That's right, yeah. So she she died, but she was 89, so she did all right. Yeah. Uh, Frank Kelly, Father Ted... Your yeah. father Ted fan? No, never Me got neither. there. Never got Me there. Me neither. No, wish I had. I'm sure it's yet to be discovered. It's also very interesting because its creator is one of the most annoying people on Twitter. So, um, oh, just a bit. Yeah, it's like Mr. Linehan. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, it's like the police, really, isn't it? Yeah, but he's also kind of like this really bizarre, like ultra kind of beyond communist sort of <laughs> political commentator. Yeah. And there's a few like that. I mean, I find it extraordinary, that whole area. You know, if you look at... You've got Paul Mason, who's Channel 4's economics editor. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, a new ITV economics editor coming on as well. And these are quite known, politicised people. Yeah. Uh, and that's really kind of odd that they're on Twitter talking about, you know, David Cameron has no right to breath because he went to a posh school. And then they're the impartial voice of the news on the telly. You think, well, that's bollocks because we know what you really think. 
You'd never get that at the BBC. Oh, yeah, that's right, because the BBC... As or you know, even at Sky, for that matter. Uh, as, because the BBC is controlled by the Tory government. If you read some people online, it's, controlled by, them, it's controlled by the very force that's trying absolutely. to dismantle them. Dis- so, yes, absolutely right. Tony Warren. Tony Warren, that was a big one for yeah. me. Yes, yeah. I was... Because um, you're a bit of a Corey fan. I am, and I, st- I still can't quite explain it. It doesn't hold quite the same appeal as it once did, and you can see it going into territory that it, you know, you wish it didn't. It becomes a bit EastEnders-like, silly cliffhangers, daft story twists, trying to do comedy where it should never try comedy, leave it to the characters that are really good. And I was kind of losing a bit of faith, really, in Corey of late. But imagine my surprise when who shows up but Derek Griffiths. You mentioned this the other day. I did. As the new ca- a new character in Coronation Street who I thought was in it for... In fact, looking back on it, the entire storyline was clearly a way of getting him in it. Right. And I don't imagine he's... He might not be in it full time, but he's not going anywhere just yet because they're writing him in more and more. He's having a good time. He's he having a exactly renaissance. The same. Yeah, he's got that great kind of grey-haired silver fox look now. Right. Um, but... Essentially, looks like the bloke that took me through the round window. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, good to see Derek there. And, of course, the other thing about Coronation Street is that um, weird things happen. I mean, McKellen turned up in Coronation Street. Because he wanted to do it, didn't he? Because yeah. he wanted to do it. Yeah. And it was just so funny hearing him being interviewed. He said, I couldn't believe it. I got there. And there was... This is a guy who's in fucking X-Men, for God's That's sake. That's right. You know, he's not exactly short of credibility. And yet, uh, he said, I couldn't believe it. There was Ken Barlow and there's Betty. And, you know, suddenly all these people have been on my TV all my life. And I was working with them. And he was... He played a, a crooked novelist called Mel Hutchins. Right. Mel Hutchinson. Okay. Um who was uh, not really a novelist, but pretended he was. But he was fantastic. I've never really been a Corrie fan. No. no. You're more Emmerdale, aren't you? Um, no. Okay. Where else are we? Uh, Sir George Martin. Beatles man. Beatles man. Yeah. I mean, you Didn't know... Didn't really shock me. Got to be honest. I mean, the Beatles are kind of overrated anyway, so if he's responsible yeah. for all of that... They're just the boy zone of the 60s. No, it, not even boy zone, more sort of five of the 60s. Five, you, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean... Pff- Maybe these days they'd they'd have a couple of hit albums. Yeah. End up doing like you know, or another, another big celebrity big. I'd brother. say more another level. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, uh, Paul is very much Dane. I think. Oh, without doubt. The Beatles were. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like with 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 Bowie, Bowie, Bowie. Did we ever really get a consensus on Bowie or Bowie? No, didn't he? He's dead now. You wouldn't have thought he'd be mentioned enough. Isn't there a famous clip of him being asked that on an American talk show? Is it Bowie? Is it Bowie? And he comes back with some kind of strange philosophical answer he did do that kind of um slightly pseudo thoughtful thing right as if there was a bit more art to it than there needed to be he wrote some cracking songs he sang them well he performed them well that's kind of it this one actually amazingly despite the fact he'd for reasons i can't quite get to it become kind of almost like a sort of national joke figure uh paul daniels when he died, that was very sudden. It's like he's, very quickly. Daniels you know, is ill. Oh, look, he's died. Yeah, exactly that. It's a shame because as a magician, he was extraordinary. Yeah, like really extraordinary. It's a slight hand music. Penn and Teller thought this guy was a god. In oh, terms absolutely. Of the way yeah, da- Daniels was one of the best in the world at that. Kind but of then stuff. somewhere along the way, he became sort of like this figure of not so much fun. But how like, did that happen? Yeah. Right? Was it spitting image? Was it the wig thing? I think, I think, was well, it he marrying t- Debbie McGee? He, was it? And I don't mean that in an unkind way because he's you know was with her for yonks. But at the time, because he always he's one of those guys that looked older than he was, and he marries Debbie McGee. And I bet you there was only about like ten years between them or something. But yeah. there was that perception that he was like eighty and she was sort of sixteen or something. And yeah. it was never anything like that. And they were together for a long time. Great marriage. Blah blah blah. Um, 
But yeah, why why would a very gifted magician who was incredibly good at what he did was you know one of the biggest names on primetime TV for probably 20 years or something? Absolutely. How the fuck would that then transpose to being a, a bit of a laughing stock? And I wonder about that because it was it happened before he did that show with Louis Thoreau. And it was it was sort of after spitting image, yeah. but he just sort of became a little bit of a punchline. And I think his legacy's been rebuilt a bit. No, it has. Yeah, I think. It um, has. Which is a shame because he was, you know, as a kid watching Paul Daniels yeah. and Hans Moretti getting in a big metal ball, Hans Moretti, and being pushed down a slide into the audience. Yeah, he would often kill them. But you know, there was still a spectacle. Much like the uh, we were talking about the two Ronnies. In fact, that's a nice segue because the next one on the list, <laughs> oh, yes, Ronnie Corbett. is Ronnie Corbett. Well, it's just on that point. With Daniel, the two Ronnies had those moments in the two Ronnies, which I think you and I share this. The bit with Ronnie Corbett in the chair. Yes. Hated that. Yeah. The farmers. The farmers hated that. I was a bit, maybe if I'd been older, I'd have got the songs a bit more. Yeah. Wasn't that struck on those. But in fact, it's hard to know what I did like about the two Ronnies. (laughs) But we all liked the news. We all thought that was fabulous. And, you know, the two old boys in the pub having a drink. And the the Barker set pieces where he'd be like, good evening. And he'd be like, yes, they'd be really good. But actually, similarly with Paul Daniels, the international acts, the Hans Moretti's, I hated that. Yeah. Because it was usually specially, uh, it was usually speciality acts, wasn't it? Jugglers and people bouncing on a ball. Or the guy, the guy who used to blue bubbles and smoke into them to me yes Cubes he was amazing stuff like that yeah he was amazing actually no he was good i liked him i understand he's surprisingly still alive so you know blowback bob uh, that's blowback bob yeah, yeah he's still yeah. around ronnie corbett ronnie corbett yeah 85 years old though so not bad really yeah. if you think about it not bad at all denise robertson yeah from this morning yeah i met her before yeah probably she was a nice. nice lady yeah poor old denise that's all we can say really yeah david guest Oh, that was weird. Who was promoting because he was, yeah, it was Celebrity Big Brother he was on. Yeah. There was that big mix-up because well, someone earlier on the list, yeah. uh, David Bowie Bowie, had died. And um, Angie Bowie's in the house, like, David's dead. One of the other people in the house thinks it's David Guest who's dead. So David yeah. Guest then books a tour called I'm Not Dead or something like that. And then it turns out he was. And, then and you shouldn't laugh yes. about it. Well, I went round to a mate's house about three years ago and... Uh, this was round here where we're filming. You know who I'm talking about. And he said to me, he said, you won't believe this, where you're sitting. Guess who was sitting there last night? And I said, who? And he said, David Guest, being slightly mischievous. And actually, the more I, I heard um, Toby Anstis talking about the same thing. So David Guest, oddly, his funeral was in this country. I think he kind of he very much felt that he'd been adopted by this. Yes, country. I think that's true. But you would think a guy that well, you know he was a bit of a jokey figure, and he had that really weird cosmetic surgery going on and bad boot polished hair. But he was still involved in some you know fairly big names. You'd thought he'd have had one of those kind of Beverly Hills type funerals that everybody would have showed up. And, at. Don't and for- instead, he was buried in Gateshead. Or <laughs> don't forget, he was uh, he was married to Liza Minnelli, and he was married to Liza Minnelli, who was a no show at the funeral. Liza Minnelli, a good friend of Hans Moretti, as I understand. <laughs> so yeah. I understand yeah. Yes, but yeah, Toby Anson said he was one of those guys. You know, your mobile would go, and he'd say, "You're coming out for a drink," and you go, "I, I can't, David." Oh, and you go, oh, "Please, no, yeah. no, I'm, I'm actually on air." Oh, don't please come out. And he was quite needy. And by all accounts, the, just the absolute nicest man. He had no bad bones in him, no edge to him, no other side to him, other than he just wanted, really wanted a friend. And there was that almost final, you see that picture of somebody snapped at him on the tube where he was holding a boots bag right. sitting on the northern line or something. 
just on his own. Last, quite, and he's quite a, a last carriage. Quite a, I think so. <laughs> quite a uh, recognisable character. Yeah. Uh, however weird he might have been, maybe because of that. But um, he he just liked people and wanted people to like him. I met him once yeah. at uh, another radio station group oh, yeah. I was involved with, and he rocked up and he wanted to do this promotion for this this show uh, that he was doing, which had like forty acts on it. And he well, wanted his last do... one that he was doing had like well, that, yeah, but it? he was, and he was talking to the commercial production department. One of the guys came in and he said he wants to do this, and he's given me a script, and it's like four minutes long. <laughs> he says I can't. So we told him we can't do it, but he's willing to pay whatever it takes. Wow. Just insane. And he was all right. Smelt pretty good, though. Unlike Lemmy. Smelt quite nice. Yeah, yeah I'd imagine he was quite scenty. Flowery. Yep. Uh, Victoria Wood. Yeah, were you shocked? Yes. Because nobody knew she was ill. No. Um, and she always seemed like somebody who, in real life, was probably very nice. Yeah, I think so. Also, married to a gifted magician. That's previously. right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think they ever divorced. I'm not sure. I did wonder about the great Soprendo. You know, a friend of mine sent me a text saying, uh, very sad news about Victoria Wood, but let's face it, she was never funny. And I thought, well, actually, she did write some incredibly funny stuff. Yeah. And like the Acorn Antiques thing, and the, I didn't really follow the Dinner Ladies thing, but I saw a couple of episodes, and it was in that sort of almost Alan Bennett-esque yeah. genre. Um, and it was, yeah, it was clearly funny in that genre. And she had some great characters, and her stand-up stuff was of, it was original. She wrote every you know, full stop herself. Nobody was there sort of yeah. throwing in gags for her. So I don't think anybody, I think you'd have to be a pretty mean bastard to try and reduce Victoria Wood's contribution to comedy. And particularly as a female, and that's relevant because she was doing this shit in 1970 when, you know, you, you couldn't get a female in the doors of the BBC to clean the bloody floors, let alone tell yeah, jokes. Yeah. And it's interesting when you say that you'd have to be pretty low to say that she wasn't funny and all of that kind of thing uh which i believe kelvin mckenzie actually did do in his column in the sun so hey he's building up that old cv isn't he eh? yeah he uh, is a little bit yeah. yeah not having the best year <laughs> um barry off of heidi high it says here yes barry this was only a couple of weeks ago that was a it? shock because i didn't think he was still alive me neither i thought barry from and i again i read i wikipedia him I wikipedia Wikipedia. Wikipedia. I wikipedia him, and I, I think I MDB'd him as well. I don't think he'd done very much in the last 10 or 15 years. No. But that being said, and we've, we've discussed this on Once a Word before, Heidi High was, in, in its initial couple of series, dark, though. There was a darkness to it. Because yep. you had, like, the alcoholic Punch and Judy guy. Yep. You've got the sort of... <laughs> Yeah, but that's, you know, that was his character. And, you know, the ca- Bar- Barry off of Heidi High was, you know, conflicted, mm. let's put it that way. He was. In terms of his... And the, but that was still quite different and, you that's know... brilliant. And There's nothing wrong with that. I worked uh, on, a, as you know, on a holiday camp, and there was a children's entertainer called Uncle Al. Right. And he was also, the, you know, much like the children's entertainer who was always pissed on Heidi High. I don't think Al was pissed. He was just very, very miserable. And I remember some kid going up to him going, what's on this afternoon, Uncle Al? And he went, in competition. <laughs> Goff. <laughs> By far the best moment. Yeah. He, he wasn't trying to be, you know, no, no. inappropriate in that respect. He was just deeply inappropriate in terms of his language. Miserable git. But what was nice about the Barry off of Heidi High thing was it did get quite a lot of coverage. And um, yep. it was, you know, the, the news picked up on it, the websites did, and so on and so forth for somebody who hasn't actually necessarily He was very good at... He, he could, yeah, he could wheel out the phrase uh, sarcastic cow when talking about his wife. Yeah. Was it, was it Yvonne? Well, that was it, yeah. In, in well Heidi done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
and it was pretty almost to camera wasn't it he could kind yeah. of do that you know after she'd said something because he was as you say conflicted mm. so um so long barry or yeah bye de bye oh dear prince ah yeah yeah i that was that was a because i was a prince fan not a big prince fan but a prince yeah. fan and i i you know i i thought that was i saw him uh, live did you i saw him alive <laughs> yes. and yeah. live yes uh, and I went, it was the Brit Awards, and I went with my former radio station, and me and my boss, Bill, you remember Bill? Oh, yeah. At the time, yeah. Bill was kind of in his 60s and really shouldn't be anywhere near any kind of music venue, <laughs> frankly, because it just looked all shades of wrong, even though he was, you know, his his own backstory is a very credible one, but mm-hmm. just not in that world. Uh, we sat there, Prince was the kind of headline act, and he did about a sort of 15-minute version of Purple Rain or something, and it was the most mind-blowing experience to watch it. And Bill said to me afterwards, he went, fucking hell, mate, you will never see anything better than that. And I think he's probably right. Yeah. There's also, and I know that um, Kevin Smith himself feels he regrets it a little bit, but if you look on YouTube, there's the story that when the director, raconteur, Kevin Smith, he was hired by Prince to make a documentary. And there's a clip on YouTube, it runs about 20 minutes long, of him telling the story of working with Prince on this documentary, which was never released, and is in this giant vault of stuff that Prince apparently has, and nobody knows the code to it, so no one can get into it. Because I was on air when... uh, the, the day that, and it was before I came on air or whatever, but just before I think I was on air, it, it was announced he died. And I interviewed a talk show host in, no, he, in fact, he was a former program manager of a talk station in California. And they, when Prince had a kind of bit of a lean period, as they call it, he yeah. wasn't doing very much, of, much of that probably by choice. He'd written some new stuff and he selected this very small radio station that this guy was working at and that Steve Jones currently now works on, as in the Pistols. Oh, I thought you meant the guy from the Pyramid Game. Well, he works there as well, which is kind of strange. I don't know how that works. They've got two Steve Joneses. They don't know whether they're f***ing Arthur or Martha down there. don't know <laughs> Steve, what's going on. And interesting, it was Steve Jones as well. <clears throat> well I was talking about the Pyramid Game, Steve Jones. If you, if you see him now, and he's, he's still, as you know, but still yeah. an excellent broadcaster and so on, but he always used to raise his eyebrow. Is that, yes. He, he now, he's now like the rock. Slightly nasally. Yeah, his, his eyebrow's like, you know, he's got oh, like, this eyebrow head. He doing some overnight shifts at Talk Sport. Was he? I was, yeah, he did a couple of... And I remember thinking... Wow, you were quite a big deal. You That's presented right. Saturday Night TV. Yeah. It was always a bit of an odd choice. He wasn't a comedian or a funny man. No. Yeah, he was more of a voiceover guy. But, um, yeah, anyway, so this guy said that when they went round to Prince, invited him to his house, and there he was from a very small radio station, and him and his boss got invited to Prince's house for dinner, and they sat down, and he was like, you know, hey, Prince, you know, it's a fucking privilege it is to be. And Prince said, can you not use that kind of language in my house, please? Yeah, he went. He was a bit funny about stuff like that. Yeah, he didn't like, and he said, yeah, it's fine. He said, but it was still very weird to be in the presence of Prince. And finally, for the moment, other than the ones that have inevitably yeah. dropped off the face of the earth, uh, Reg Grundy. Reg Grundy, the Australian... Yeah, who invented Neighbours. Neighbours? Yeah. Really? Grundy's gone? Grundy Television, yeah. Grundy TV, yeah. Reg the Grundy. Sullivans and everything. I was going to say the Sullivans. That's when I first remember seeing Reg Grundy on... on I a, tell you, I must have switched as off... As distinct from Reg Grundy who interviewed the Sex Pistols. Yeah, well, I believe, I hope so. Was that Reg Grundy? It was that, Grundy, wasn't it? The Grundy interview. It was a Grundy one. Yeah. Uh, but um, 
The Sullivans must have been one of the most... I've seen that title sequence so many times and switched off at the end of it. It's got them all standing there having the photo taken. Yes, and the kids it's horrible. Running. That used to be uh, on lunchtimes at school. That's you know, right, yeah. Home from school. That's when you knew it was time to change the channel. Um, Kev, thank you for your contribution. Thanks, man. It's a pleasure. Uh, we are back uh, in a couple of weeks. We are, with uh, stuff, more stuff. Yeah. Don't forget, there's like 100 episodes of Once a World you can pre... You can still download. Yes. It's still out there. Yeah. So if you want to start at one, you will see the kind of... Uh, what I'd like to say is a sort of, you know, as David Bowie would say, it's a bit of an artistic process. <laughs> it's nothing of the sort. It's oh, just sh- a lot of shit put together <laughs> and some of it sticks. Yes. That's how it kind of works, as most of these things do. Um, until then, goodbye. A Big Things Media Production. Big Things! Megadeth's Nick Menza. Burt Kwok, who hit Cluso. <laughs> Uh, there was Megadeth's Nick Menza, Burt Quark. <laughs> uh, there was. <laughs> oh dear.